Today we're going to continue talking about the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We've been on this series called Jesus Continued, for those of you that are joining us. And I put up on the screen essentially the foundational principle or truth that we've been trying to wrap our mind around, and that is this, that the Christian life is only possible when the Holy Spirit who lives in us lives through us this life for us. The Christian life is only possible when Jesus and the person of the Holy Spirit who lives in us lives through us this life for us. An odd thing happens for many of us when we become a Christian. Here's what I mean by that. Somehow we go from, when you read scripture, we go from kind of realizing that this work of salvation, this work of having our eyes opened to see the truth and the beauty of the gospel and God's redemptive work for us on the cross, and the faith even to believe, the eyes being opened and faith even to believe, that this work is not of our own, but that this work, as Scripture tells us, is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we go from depending totally on the Holy Spirit for this work of faith, belief, the work of redemption, (laughs) to once we become a Christian, thank you, Lord, I'm going to try really hard with a little bit of God sprinkled on top. I don't know, is that an exaggeration for, 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 for us? What does your life say? What does my life say? And the central truth, and this is so counterintuitive for so many of us who grew up in church, particularly church that never talked about the Holy Spirit, this work of living the Christian life is not possible apart from the Holy Spirit. Can I get an amen? And if you're sitting there going, I seem to be doing okay, what's that all about? That's called grace. That's called God doing for you and me what we don't deserve. The Holy Spirit is powerfully at work in us. And, and we've been saying, the challenge is to acknowledge, to appropriate, to be aware of the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit. The foundational scripture, it's like two-minute review, church, because it's been two weeks since I've preached on this, or three weeks, I should say. John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commands. Can I just stop here and just say this? Uh, I don't know where we get this. An understanding of grace doesn't lead to a life of cavalier callousness with sin. A true understanding of grace leads to a life of radical obedience. I'm going to say that again. Somehow in certain parts of the church, Christian community, if we talk too much about grace, people will think, it's okay for me to live any way I want to. A true understanding of the gospel of grace, a true understanding of his unconditional love for you and me, doesn't lead to a life of, I'm going to do whatever I want to. It leads a life of radical obedience. So if you want to sit there and go, do I understand grace? Have I been transformed by grace? Ask yourself the question, am I living a life of radical obedience? Because he loves me like that. If you love me, if you love me, 
He'll obey my commands. I'll ask the Father and he'll give you another advocate. And hopefully that word conjures up all kinds of things. We talked about this four weeks ago. To help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He said the Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit is God. Jesus says, I'll not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Jesus said, one with the Holy Spirit. When he comes, Holy Spirit, that is, it says if Jesus comes into our lives. Holy Spirit is God. We also, Holy Spirit is person or person, no. Holy Spirit is not an it. It's not a force of some kind that's hugely important, especially today as we talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is a person who thinks, who feels, who acts. In a personal way. And the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit is that you and I could have a personal relationship with him. We could have a personal, intimate relationship with the Holy Spirit. I don't know, it's amazing to me. But I'm also challenged because I'm reminded that Jesus didn't come and just give us an assignment. He offers a relationship. Jesus doesn't just come and give us an assignment. He offers a relationship. Truth be told, some of us, some of us are more about the mission of Jesus than about Jesus himself. He didn't come just give you a mission assignment. He says, I come so that in vital union and relationship with me, your life would overflow into the mission that I have for you. He comes so you could have a personal, intimate relationship. His call to those of us was what? Follow me. Everything else follows that. Follow me. Holy Spirit is God. Holy Spirit is a person. And, and, and that's important because we're going to talk about in the next couple of weeks. If he's a person, what does it mean to be filled with a person and not a force in it, a thing? What does it mean to be filled with a person? Um, <clears throat> somebody got engaged yesterday. Don't y'all want to know who it is before y'all start clapping? John and Carrie got engaged yesterday. Woohoo! Got engaged. I congratulate you, John and Carrie. I assure you that John is filled with Carrie right about now. And Carrie is filled with John. You know what I mean? Doesn't just have to be romantically. You can be filled with the person when you come across a great teacher or a great leader, or you just come across a friend that you just connect with at a soul level. What does it mean to be filled with the person? One, you come under their influence. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Be filled with the person to so come under someone's influence, and you're affected by them. 
Um, you anticipate their every move. You hang on to their every word. You, rel- <laughs> you listen to their advice. You think and act and feel. You finish each other's sentences. Not only are you influenced by them, but you're also totally responsive to them. To be filled with, you're responsive to them. Guys actually start taking care of their hygiene, start taking showers, and start combing their hairs, and start tucking their shirts, and start. You all of a sudden become incredibly responsive to their needs. Sometimes they don't even have to ask what it is that they want. You know, you anticipate. What does it mean to be filled with somebody? It means to come under their influence and to anticipate and to be responsive to their needs. Let me give you another analogy of what it means to be filled with a person. I might have shared this before. There's a man who was having an affair. Every time his wife would be out of town on weekends because she was visiting her elderly sick parents, this man would bring his mistress over for the weekend. But an odd thing happened. Every time the mistress would come over, this man and this mistress would take all the pictures of his wife and family that was in the house and they would turn it down. Why? Because even the presence of the picture the photograph, even the reminder, the presence of his wife in form of pictures would affect their behavior. They would turn the pictures out. Question, how influenced are you by the vivid awareness of this holy person? who lives inside the walls of your heart. How acutely are you aware of this person who lives inside your heart? Is this not Paul had in mind when he says to the Corinthians. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you and who is in me whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God body. Church, have you been captured by the vivid awareness of this person who the Bible says is of pure eyes in whom there is no sin, who lives inside walls your heart. It will change the way we live. It would bring integrity into our lives. You and I would turn the pictures now.
Let me lighten it up. Let me lighten it up a little bit, okay? You ever sit there, watch something on TV, and something comes on, but your grandma's like sitting next to you? Anybody? Y'all like, uh, um. <laughs> We're more uncomfortable in the presence of a person doing certain things than we are in the presence of God. Why? We are not aware of who it is that lives inside of our hearts. We're more afraid of people, what they think, and we are of God and what he thinks. It is really, really hard to sin unless you are either oblivious, obliviously ignorant of or consciously oblivious of the presence of God in your life. It's really difficult to sin while being aware of who it is that lives inside of our hearts. Matter of fact, this is the reason why it takes way more mental gymnastics to go down the wrong path than it is to go down the right one. Let me show you. In order to walk down the wrong path, here's what you need to do. First and foremost, you have to silence God's divine voice within you. First thing you gotta do. Silence God's divine voice. Then you have to be really careful to not pray about that desire with the submitted spirit. Then you also have to be really, really intentional about not talking to wise friends who will hold you accountable to that. And you have to do all these things to walk down the wrong path without recognizing that you're doing it. But if not careful over time, it becomes second nature to silence God's voice. He's speaking. He's speaking. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to hear it. I got to give that desire to God. Not going to pray about it. Not going to pray about it. Not going to pray about it. I really should talk to some people about this. Uh Uh-uh. Because I already know what they're going to say. Holy Spirit is God, and he is there in that room with him, with her, with them. Doesn't this put the whole conversation about spiritual disciplines in a different light? Why do you pray? Is it to see how long you could pray, how many prayers you can get through, or so that God would bless you more? Do you know what prayer is? Listen to the example of Jesus. Prayer is that thing that enables us always to be attentive to and to be aware of God's presence in our lives. 
Prayer is what, it, is what enables you, enables me to live in constant communion with this person called the Holy Spirit. This is the reason why there is a correlation between your prayer life and your spiritual vitality. This is the reason why when you don't pray, nothing to do with God loving you, nothing to do with God loving you more. God already loved unconditionally. God can't love you more or less, depending on whether you pray. What prayer does is he makes you aware of God's presence, makes you attentive to his promptings so that you live in awareness all the days of your life of the fact that he is there. That's the goal of our spiritual life. That's the goal of the Christian walk. To live our lives in awareness of and attentive to his divine presence. I gotta gotta go on. I do want to talk about what it means to be filled But please keep this in mind for the next couple of weeks when we talk about this. He's there with you, in you, always. Who will never leave and never forsake you. The goal, the challenge in our distracted, hurried, fanatic, frenetic lives to still our hearts and our voices to be aware of, to be attentive to his voice. How are you doing? I love my brother over there. He's like, not well. Be filled. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to just kind of lay the groundwork. I mean, this, there's a lot of water to draw out of this well in Ephesians 5. A lot of water jar. And we're frankly going to spend most of our time next couple of weeks just on a couple of verses. Particularly verse 18 when it says, Do not be drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. But, but, but I wanted to kind of lay context, lay context as Professor Dr. May taught us a couple of weeks ago. Context, context, context. Ephesians 5. I'll tell you why this is important. Because before Paul gets to some of the best teaching on marriage, parenting, family, friendship, relationship with your employer, before we get to some of the most practical, important things, he says, be filled with the Spirit. Why? One, you can't operate properly in all of these areas, relationships, unless you're filled with the Spirit. You can't have a God-honoring, Christ-centered marriage. You can't have a God-honoring, Christ-centered marriage or your relationship with your children, your children with your parents, your friendships, your relationship. These are not possible, these relationships, unless, he says, you're filled with the Spirit. Second implication. Being filled with the Spirit is not getting glory bumps, glory, glory bumps in worship. Being filled with the Spirit is not getting, ooh, that was wonderful. Being filled with the Spirit and the primary area that shows you whether you're filled with the Spirit is in your relationships. It's in your relationships. The areas, whether you and I can see, am I filled with the Spirit? The area in which you and I can see whether we are filled with the Spirit 
is in our relationship. If you tell me you're filled with the Spirit, but all your relationships are a wreck, and they continue to be a wreck, you might something else, but you are not filled with the Spirit. Let me ask you, married couples, is this important for you? Parents, children, is this important for you? Employers, employees, friendships, all of these relationships, Paul says, are not even possible unless you're filled with the Spirit. So we go to Ephesians 5, verse 1, where he says, Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, stop right there. Let me ask you a question. Can you do that on your own? Can you be like God on your own? Church? I'm just trying to show you how plain this is all over Bible. Follow God's example. We read right by it. Follow God's example. Okay, there's a, God says, that's your call. Follow me. Imitate me. To which you and I go, I can't. But breathe out. I don't have that in me, on my own. Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children. Couple of things, and then we'll, walk into, we'll get into the bulk of this. The ultimate aim of the Christian life, the end result of all that God desires from you and I, is Christ-likeness. The entire aim of the Christian life, the primary work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life is that we become more like Jesus. The overwhelming evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in you and in me is not giftedness, but it's Christ-likeness. God is way more concerned about the fruit of the Spirit than he is about the gifts of the Spirit. You and I are a danger to the body of Christ if our giftedness and our passions outpaces our character. Can I say that again? You and I are a danger to the body of Christ if your giftedness and your passions outpaces your character. I'm 45. I've been at this for a while. I've been in my 20s. I've been in my 30s. And I don't know what it is about being in our 20s and 30s. But man, I've seen many, many people whose giftedness, extremely gifted, and their passions for things without character make a mess out of things. An utter mess out of thing. God is way more concerned about who you become, not what you do. The overwhelming evidence of Scripture, read it again and again and again, is God is way more concerned about who you become and not what you do. Why? Because when you become like God, you begin to think and act like who? Church, are you hearing me? And yes, I'm screaming. And yes, I'm preaching to myself. God is more, con- oh, Lord, goodness gracious. I'm going to talk about this for the. I am concerned. There, I said it. I am concerned about an entire generation of people who are passionately on mission for Jesus without a clue as to how to be with the king.
Verse 2, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And the trait that most characterizes Christ's likeness is what? Is what? It's love. It's love. You see, they're going, oh, I don't know, am I becoming more like Jesus? Ask yourself, the trait that most characterizes God's example, Christ-likeness, is love. The sign of spiritual maturity is not how much you know, it's how well do you love. The sign of walking with Jesus in spiritual maturity is not how much you know, it's how well you love. And some of us are frankly just all kinds of messed up. Why? Because we walked away from the church. Why? Because somehow the people who claim to know God most were the least loving. Somehow people who claim to know God most were the most self-righteous, judgmental, Pharisaic Christians you had ever met. And somehow there was a brain explosion inside your head where you said, ah, it doesn't make any sense. Someone who loves Jesus that much and knows Jesus that much, how to be loved? The sign. Can I put it another way? Can I put it another way? Some of us, frankly, would much rather be right than loving. Some of us, and I'm talking to you, you know who you are, would much rather be right than we would be loving. I believe that Christians in this country will lose our credibility if at the end of the day we go, I will rather win a theological argument than humbly loving someone we disagree with. I'm going to say it again. We will lose credibility as Christians in this country if we are convinced that our job as Christians is to be theologically right rather than humbly loving someone we disagree with. I have rarely seen people argued into the kingdom, but I have seen many humbly loved into the kingdom. Married couples, would your marriage be healthier if you just died to your stinking need to be right all the time? And humbly love? Oh, nobody else confesses? Okay, I'll confess. I would much rather, I will prove Jenny, just shut your mouth and humbly love your wife. Okay, Holy Spirit, thank you for that. You guys, Okay, let, let, let me, I'll let Paul speak to you because, you know, he's better than me. 1 Corinthians 13, 1. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I am nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to the mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I am nothing if I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've got nowhere. So no matter what I say, what I believe, what I do, I am bankrupt without love. When people think of you, do they think of you as an imitator of God because you're right all the time or because you love well?
Lord, help me. Help me. Help me. Jump down to verse 15. We got we to we go. We got to go. We got to focus on the next couple of weeks. These three verses. Verse 15, after giving a series of commands. Verse 15, Paul says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. That literally means redeeming the time. And I'll come back to that. Because the days are evil. Verse 17, Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. For the 90% of you constantly email me about, I want to know what God's will is. I want to know God's will is. I want to know God's will is. Here it is. Here it is, okay? Verse 18, don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to do this this morning. We're going to answer three questions this week and next week, and then we're done. First question we're going to ask is, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Second question is, how do you know if you're filled with the Spirit? And third question is, how can you be filled with the Spirit? All right? So first, here we go. How, what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Again, guys, I'm going to just kind of lay the groundwork today and next week. A couple weeks later that, we're going to come back to this. By the way, I want to be sensitive. There are people in a new community who took their first steps to God or returned to God because of a drinking problem or because of some substance abuse problem. Lots of folks. I know who they are. Don't want you to feel weird or feel bad. Matter of fact, the interesting thing for me this is Paul kind of gets to, you might actually have deep insight into this that a lot of people who not, not struggle might not know. He says, be filled. But he compares that with being drunk. Drunk, that word literally means to be soaked, to be saturated with, to be dominated by. And I'll be real quick about this first thing. What makes you drunk is not how much you drink. Some of us get drunk on two glasses. Some of us get drunk on ten glasses. What gets you drunk is not how much you drink. What gets you drunk is how much the alcohol influences you. Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, but be filled with the Spirit. What is he saying? First and foremost, being filled with the Spirit is not asking God to come and occupy an empty space. Holy Spirit is there. You don't need to ask more of him. You have all of him that you need. Being filled with the Spirit, though, and this is huge, is not to passively wait for something to happen. Being filled with the Spirit doesn't happen because you go, fill me, fill. It doesn't happen that way. How do you know, Peter? It's a command. Be filled is a command. There's most definitely something the Bible says you and I do. And by the way, it's not a suggestion or advice. If you're sitting there going, I don't know if I want to be filled, so I'm not going to come back next week. I'm just, it's a straightforward command that you don't have the opportunity to ignore as, as any other ethical commands. He says, be filled, but notice something. It doesn't say fill yourself with the Spirit. It doesn't say fill yourself with the Spirit. It says, be filled. In other words, put yourself in a position where you can be filled. There's a beautiful balance between the one hand. You and I don't control. I want to be filled. Boom, I'm filled. We have to depend on him. But the Bible says beautiful balance. There's something you and I do. There's something you and I do. It's intentional. It's intentional. Be filled. What does it mean? Here it is. I'm going to be real quick about this. If to be drunk 
is to be influenced, to be affected by alcohol in such a way that in some ways powerfully we've surrendered our body, mind, and will to the influence and effect of alcohol. To be filled with the Spirit is to be yielding ourselves to His influence and to His leading in such a way that His influence and His leading dominate my mind, my heart, my emotions, and my will. To be filled with the Spirit, that's a command, is to intentionally yield and surrender ourselves to the Spirit in such a way that His influence and His leading dominate my entire being. I'm going to say it in two, three several ways. To be filled with the Spirit is that you and I decrease so that He might increase. To be filled with the Spirit. What do you mean by decrease, increase? To be filled with the Spirit, as we learn in AA, to be filled with the Spirit is to die to what's called self-will so that you could begin to do His will. To be filled with the Spirit is what we've been saying for the last five weeks, which is what? Is to be sensitive to what? The Holy Spirit's leading in such a way that his promptings and his empowerment dominate my entire being. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be sensitive to and to depend on his leadings and his promptings in such a way that his influence and his leading dominate my entire being. Question, are you intentionally being filled the Spirit. How do you know, Peter, if I'm filled with the Spirit? We're going to spend the next two weeks on it. Today, though, it's going to be really counterintuitive on what it is, what it looks like when we're filled with the Spirit, but it's so practical. Counterintuitive. Look at it. Look at it. How do you know if you're filled with the Spirit? One of the biggest misconceptions, I somebody write to me, Misconceptions of being filled with the Spirit is like being filled with the Spirit is like being spiritually drunk. So you get filled with the Spirit and you're kind of out of control. And some of y'all are like, I know exactly what you're talking about. That's why I left the church. Because the people who were filled with the Spirit emotionally in other ways were just out of control. Counterintuitive, but so practical. Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Because Why? Don't want you to be drunk. That leads to debauchery. Here's what debauchery means. This is so counterintuitive but practical. The word drunk, debauchery. Some of you have King James Version. Dis- dissipation. I love that word. Don't get drunk because it leads to dissipation, which literally means to waste, to squander, to deplete, to be totally spent. You know what the picture is? The picture is someone who's just completely exhausted. Someone who's just completely spent. Someone who is completely completely spent. The other word, other time that this word appears is in Luke 15, 13, where it's speaking of the prodigal son says, and he squandered his wealth in wild living. Debauchery literally means to be wasted, to squander, to be deplete, to be out of control. This is why it's counterintuitive, but so practical. How do you know if you're filled with the Spirit? This is how. If you say you're filled with the Spirit, but you're out of control in terms of your time, 
You're out of control in terms of your body. You're out of control in terms of your tongue. You're out of control in terms of your emotions. Something else is going on. But you're not filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit, Paul says, the opposite of debauchery, to be depleted, to wasted, to be out of control. Being filled with the Spirit leads to absence. Well, what are you talking about? Amazing, Galatians 5. Out of the fruit of the Spirit, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, the last word is what? And then Paul says this out of nowhere in 2 Timothy. Look what Paul says. Verse 1, 7. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of what? Of power. Of love. Last word. Being filled with the Spirit. It's not out of control and I'm filled with. Being filled with the Spirit leads to life of power, of love, and absolute self-control and discipline. You ever see someone whose voice is trained? Is the voice out of control? It's absolutely under control. I'm just pra- it's so counterintuitive, I know, but so practical for you and me. Look at someone who's drunk. Look at their time. What, what do you mean, their time? Someone who's drunk, he's completely squandering his time because he has absolutely no idea where he has to be and what he has to do. A spirit-filled person is absolutely in control of his time. If you waste money, you could always make more money. If you waste time, you can't make more time. Let me ask you, do you control your schedule or does your schedule control you? Do you control your schedule or do other people, oh, oh, do other people control you? What about energy? What about energy? Ever see someone who's really drunk, incredibly animated? I'd say that's a lot of energy, expending a lot of energy without getting anywhere, without getting anything done. What about his judgment? We say about someone who's drunk, his judgment is impaired. When's the last time you made a terrible judgment or decision because your judgment was impaired about God, about you, about those circumstances? Being filled with the Spirit. I know who I'm talking to. Yes, being filled with the Spirit. We're talking about empowering me to preach the gospel. But being filled with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit leads to a life of power of love and self-control and discipline where your tongue, your body, your time, and your judgment is under control. Church, I, as I thought about this and wanting to apply it, major conviction, and I know that this isn't applicable to everybody, but I'm just going to share one application of this, and we're going to come back next week and talk about actually the more positive of, here's how, you know, you feel with the Spirit, but I grew up in church where the sign that you were blessed, the sign that you were approved by God, the sign that you were blessed was if you were burnt out all the time doing the Lord's work. Anybody else come from that culture? I, I came from a church culture where the people, the men and women that were emulated were people who were so busy and burnt out doing the Lord's work that they ruined their marriages and they 
are terrible fathers and mothers to their children. And, and, they just, and, and, and I just, you know, grew up in this culture. It was like, and so in my 20s and my 30s, particularly for many years at this church, but I just went for it. It was like burnt out. You know, some of you guys know, three, four years ago, I took three months off, and I took another three months off. Why? Because this is ingrained in me. The problem is you can't reconcile that with Scripture. You can't reconcile, and you don't need to be a pastor. You can't reconcile, though, oh, I'm filled with the Spirit, man, so I'm going to do the Lord's work until I get burned out. You can't reconcile that with Scripture. Being filled with the Spirit, you can't reconcile it with Scripture. Someone who's constantly on the go, ministering to everybody and helping anyone Yes, there's an inevitable weariness, church, that comes from ministry, from serving, from loving, from giving. And we see it even in the life of Jesus, giving your life to you, pouring out your heart for the, 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 those that are struggling, those that are, are, are in need. Sacrificial service is tiring. It's exhausting. But I got to say this, and if this drops on the ear of like one person this morning, my job is done. But, 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 there is a dangerous and toxic burnout and exhaustion that comes as a result of you doing things in the name of God that God never called you to do. There is an inevitable burnout and exhaustion that comes from you attempting and doing things in the name of God that God never asked you to do. The Holy, you know the Holy Spirit never asked you to do. Not every assignment from heaven has your name on it, child of God. Are you hearing me? Not every assignment from heaven has your name on it. Why are you acting like every assignment has your name on it? Oh, that's for me. It's not for you. God never called you to do that. Sit down. And if you're sitting there going, well, well, show me. Isn't that what Jesus did? Being led by the Spirit, I don't know about you, read the Gospels. He is constantly saying no to all kinds of incredible needs. He doesn't heal every disease. He doesn't cast every demon. He doesn't raise every dead. Why, Peter? Read the Gospels. It's so that he could be about God's mission for his life. And not someone else's. Not if this makes sense to you. You know what I find? Again, I told you this was counterintuitive. If you were thinking about some powerful emotional, no, this is one of those hmm days. The more I am filled with the Spirit, the more I find that I am able to say no to a lot of really good assignments so I could be at my best to say yes to those God-given assignments. I'll tell you another thing. The more I am filled with the Spirit, the more I am able to rest, relax, take time off, and Sabbath. I am pastoring a church full of people who are driven by this mission. Let me, okay, what's the scripture principle? Here it is. You ready? Here it is. 
Here, counterintuitive. God will never give you more to do in a day or a week or a month that you can do. Which means if you have more to do in a day or a week or a month that you can do, God never gave that to you. You gave that to you. Other people gave that to you. God never gave that to you. Do you have more to do in a day that you can do? Do you have more to do in a week than you can do? Stop lying. Why are you lying? I know you said, yeah, I spooked you. I heard you. <laughs> if you have more to do in a day, or the, and by the way, if you see the going, but doesn't God call us to do things that we can't do on our own? That, don't, don't even play those tricks. Don't even play. Don't, don't, please don't do that with me intellectual, okay? Don't, God will call you to do things that you don't have the ability to do so that God will get the glory. This has nothing to do with that. This is you putting more on your plate because you can't say no. Because you're addicted to pleasing people. Because you find your significance worth in what you do. There, I said it. I'm going to say it again. Do you have more to do in a day or the week? And Come on, come on, come on, be honest with me. You're exhausted, you're depleted. I'm filled with the Spirit. You are the furthest thing from being filled with the Spirit, child of God. God will never give you more to do. Give us our daily bread. I'm going to give you just enough for today. <laughs> it's not much I'm going to store it up. I'm going to store it up. Oh, yeah, that happened to somebody, didn't it? Yeah. Israelites, right? I'll store it up because I won't need it for tomorrow. Oh, I wake up tomorrow morning. It's rotten. Church, oh, my gosh. I know who I'm pastor. I'm pastor church full of people, mission for Jesus, which is amazing. I don't want to be a consumer Christian, which is amazing. But you are on mission for God with assignments that doesn't have your name on it. You live in a culture that has brainwashed you and me into believing that you find your worth in what you do, what you produce, what you accomplish. That is a big fat lie. You don't find your worth in what you do. You find your worth in what's been done. You don't find your worth in what you accomplish, what you produce, what your supervisor says, what your boss says. You don't find your worth. That's a lie to say that's how I find identity worth. You find your identity worth in what Christ has done for you. And if you don't get that, you're going to be exhausted, depleted, not filled with the Spirit for the rest of your life. Why? Look at the example of Jesus. He's baptized. He is filled with the Spirit. What's the first thing he hears? You're my beloved Son in whom I love. His significance, his identity, his worth is established before he does any ministry. Why? Because if you're filled with the Spirit, you actually hear your Heavenly Father's voice. And not the voices of the world clamoring for your heart and saying, do it, do it. You're what you do. You're what you accomplish. You're what you produce. 80 hours, 90 hours. Help her. Help him. You're not worth anything if you're not helping anybody. And Jesus says, do you hear my voice? You know, the amazing thing is, when I meet people who don't have any feelings of guilt about not doing let me put it another way. People that are almost always guilt-ridden are people who are like, I'm not doing I'm not. You know why? Because they have no clue what their God-given assignment is. So you feel this need to do everything, to cover all bases. 
If you're doing what God wants you to do, you have no reason to feel guilty about all the needs in the world that are not being met. Why? Because God has other people's name on them. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Peter, Dr. Peter Cha, do you, do you think they're listening? Do you think they're hearing? He's my brother. Are they, are they hearing what I'm saying? Okay. All right. All right. I, I learned this from him. You know, he's like 10 years older than me. I, I, listen, and for those of you that are new to the church, you're sitting there, I'm never coming back. He's yelling at me. I am preaching to myself. This is me. 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 Just this week, two speaking engagements. My immediate response, I'm going to do it. Why? Because I want to feel special. When I pray, God, is that your assignment? God says, no. There's someone else's. Do you see why we need the Holy Spirit so much? Church, do you see why? Good Lord, it is just... I had somebody tell me, don't go into the ministry to save your soul. Don't go into ministry and say, I thought that was a, that's the stupidest thing I've ever... Who would go into ministry if your soul is not saved? And then I realized, pastors do it all the time. Are you helping people to save your soul? Are you doing that to save your soul? Jesus on the cross, people are mocking him and saying, he saved others, but he can't even save himself. Is that you? You're trying to save other people. It's a way of saving your soul? Oh. If you're burned out and overworked because you're ministering to everybody, helping everybody, not out of an overflow of vital relationship with God, but out of some inner emptiness, out of some desperate need to feel significant or maybe even to gain some meaning in life, your soul will turn toxic. I love you, but I need to tell you, your soul will turn toxic. You have a God-given mission in life, but that mission has to be accomplished in perpetual communion with God and be motivated not by fear of insignificance, but assurance of his love. One minute, and then I'm going to talk about Jesus and the gospel. Some of you don't do anything. <laughs> He's sitting there this morning going, man, I'm rested, man. I don't, do, I don't do anything. I have all kinds of energy. I'm going to talk to you for one minute. And then I'm going to talk to you for like two hours, like from four sermons. If you're someone who attends this church and does nothing to contribute to the health, the maturity, the growth of this church body, you will never know the spirit-filled life. You know why? 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. The Bible says the Holy Spirit gives and empowers His people, that's you and me, with what's called spiritual gifts to serve the body, build up the body, mature the body. And one of the most powerful ways that we experience the Spirit working in and through us is when we use our gifts to build up the body. I'm going to go as far as saying this. You cannot really walk with the Spirit and experience His fullness unless you recognize what God has sovereignly given to you to contribute to this body. That means that if you're here and you're not using your gifts, our church is not what it can be. Let me ask you this question. If every single person in this church was as committed as you, what would this church look like? Okay, I'm moving on. Last question. How do you experience the fullness of the Spirit? Sissy, you can come on up. How do you experience the fullness of the Spirit? And this is one of the most important aha moments for me. 
How do you experience the fullness of the Spirit? How do you experience the fullness of the Spirit? Paul does something in Ephesians and Colossians that, that kind of stopped me dead on my tracks and just blessed my soul. How do you get filled with the Spirit? Ephesians 5.18 says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul also wrote another letter called Colossians. Listen to what he says in Colossians about Colossians 3.14. And above all else, put on love. There it is again. Love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Then listen to this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You're going, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, 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 yeah. And watch what happens as a result of having the word fill you. It may sound familiar. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. What? In all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The same four lists in Ephesians 5 that says, be filled with the Spirit. Because here's what's going to happen. In Colossians 3, it says, be filled with the Word. And the result is what? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. Being filled and dominated and saturated by the Spirit is the same thing as being filled, dominated, and saturated in the Word. Being filled, saturated, dominated by the Word is the same thing as being filled, dominated, and saturated by the Spirit. And it shouldn't surprise us because listen to what Jesus himself said in John 6, 6, 33. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. To be filled with the Spirit and to be filled with the Word is the same thing. Is that good news? I'll be, ah. So the question is, if the Word and the Spirit work together, if there's no experiencing the Spirit without cherishing, meditating, filling, memorizing, devouring the Word, and if there's no devouring, meditating, filling, cherishing the Word, there's no fullness of the Spirit. question is, how are you doing and being filled with the Word? How are you doing? How am I doing? And going before the word and saying, this word is the word of life. Being filled with the word. And say, Peter, make it practical. Here it is. You ready? Here it is. Be real practical. Filling of the spirit comes by filling of the word. What do I mean? Filling of the word comes through means of grace in the path of duty. There's no big secret to being filled with the Spirit. It's a, being filled with the Spirit is daily going for God and daily in prayer, being aware of His presence, being aware of and attentive to His leadings, and daily going before the path of duty. That is the means of grace. Spiritual that is putting ourselves for the Word, putting ourselves for the Word, cherishing it, meditating on it, 
filling it. The Holy Spirit, as we've been saying for five weeks, takes the truth of Scripture, truth of who God is and what He has done in Christ in defeating sin, Satan, and death, and He takes the truth of who we are in Him, and the Holy Spirit takes that truth and He brings to life. He brings it to life. Being filled with the Spirit, being filled with the Word. So here's what we're going to do this morning. I'm going to put up, so we're going to end our service. I'm going to put up Ephesians chapter 3. This is one of two prayers, literally, where Paul doesn't say be filled with the Spirit, but he's essentially praying that they will be filled with the Spirit. He's praying that the Word, the truth of who God is and what He has done, and the reality, reality of our acceptance in him, that that would become real in this life. So here's what I'd like us to do. If we all stand up, let's all stand up together. Stand up together. That's just literally word for word out of Scripture. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to have all of us, all of them, being filled with the Word, being filled with the Spirit. Say that. Spirit never works apart from the Word, and the Word never comes alive and works in us without the Spirit. We need them together. What I'd love for us to do is we're going to read this together. We're going to read this all corporately together once, and then we're going to wait and listen to the Holy Spirit. Then we're going to read it corporately together again, and then we're going to wait and listen to the Holy Spirit as he fills, makes alive. It's true. Here we go. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Holy Spirit.